year was 1949, and the Church of the Nazarene had been thriving across the world, and they were in numerous world areas at the time, and, and things were going pretty well, and it became time for the annual NMI global uh, meetup of the leaders of NMI, which is Nazarene Missions International. So basically, the people in the Church of the Nazarene dedicated to missions. And so when they got together, uh, there, it was always a celebration, but in that time, there was one issue that came up. You see, there was a lack of funding for missions, and it was apparent that the money that was coming in was not enough. They, we, the Church of the Nazarene needed more to do all that they felt that God was calling them to do. So one of the people on that council that was in that meeting that day, her name was Mary Elizabeth Venom. And they asked her, they gave her the charge. They said, we want you to come up with an idea. How can we raise more money for missions in the Church of the Nazarene? Well, it was 1949, so she was in Kansas City, where most Nazarene meetings are, and, and she had to ride a train all the way home to Florida. And so on that train ride, she says that God gave her the answer. And that answer was what we've come to know as alabaster offering. If you're not familiar with this, uh, this is an offering that we take two months out of the year in the Church of the Nazarene, and 100% of the money is given to the mission field. Nobody pays budgets on it. It doesn't pay for postage to get to the mission field. Anything you drop in here makes it all around the world to go toward missions. And so Mary Elizabeth, she, God gave her this idea, and and. It came directly out of the scripture that we've heard read today and sung for us now. This is the story that God gave to her. And, and she even came up with the idea of this box, this, this alabaster box. Because you see, the, the small ones uh, that we have, we have some of them if you would like one, but they're, they're, just, they're smaller than this, and the slot on them is just big enough for coins to go into. And maybe if you crinkle up dollar bills and put them in there. But the idea is that it's kind of like a piggy bank, right? That, that when you put in, you, it's in there. You can't really get it out. Um, now they make the boxes where they unfold simply because practical use. We can use it again next year, all that good stuff. But the idea is that once it goes in, the only way it can get it out is if it's broken and all of it comes out. And you can't really go back and say, oh, I need, you know, 75 cents to grab a Snicker bar and, and go in and get it out of your alabaster box. You, you, you can't do it. Um, and if you're tempted to, then maybe you should uh, super glue your box closed throughout the year um, so that it's not so accessible. But I hope today that we can dive into the Scripture that birthed this offering. And, and to this day, there have been millions and millions and millions of dollars raised in alabaster money that has gone to fund churches and buildings and hospitals all around the world. Um, we don't see it as much in America today, but uh, in other countries, the Church of the Nazarene, is, they, they have hospitals that, that the church operates and runs, and um, it's just fantastic. So, when you give to Alabaster, you're, you're giving to whatever the next need is that the, that the Church of the Nazarene needs around the world in missions, strictly in missions. Well, have you ever been in a, in a group situation 
and somebody tells a joke, and everyone starts laughing, except for you, because maybe you haven't seen the movie, or you just don't get the reference, or possibly the joke just went right over your head. And let's be honest, that's what happens a lot. Well, that can be a little embarrassing for us. Or sometimes you tell a joke, and this, this can happen even as pastors do this. We can throw out a joke from the pulpit and nothing, but one person is like shaking in laughter. And, and that actually happens more often than not. But, but, you know, sometimes only you and one other person get the reference, and so it's only funny And everyone else is staring at you like you looked at your 6th grade math teacher. A blank stare and no idea what's going on. It can kind of be embarrassing. But while Jesus wasn't telling a joke in our scripture from Mark 14 today, it's as, as if he and this woman were the only two that understood. They were the only two that got the reference and understood what was happening. So we need to back up just a minute. Let's dissect some of these characters that are a part of this story. First, we have Jesus, Son of God, Savior of the world. And Riley, we learned Wednesday night, Jesus is always the answer, right? Any question, it's always Jesus. Easy. Savior of the world. Got it. Next, we have the host in the story. Simon the leper. What a name. Okay, so the Son of God is at the home and table of a guy known as Simon the leper. Sure, that makes sense. We have the chief priest who wanted to arrest this Jesus because he seemed to be disrupting the town with his acts of healing, forgiveness, and grace. Real troublemaker, this Jesus. Then we have this woman. And the other gospels all give her a name. But Mark doesn't. It's kind of fascinating. And I think that's important, and we'll come back to that. The text tells us that there are others present. And I'm led to believe that these others are probably some of those same people that have been, have been walking and journeying with Jesus throughout the rest of his ministry. And you kind of wonder if this author might have been at that table too, because... He didn't want to admit that he was there missing out on what was happening. But yet, like this woman, the others get to remain nameless. Then lastly, we have Judas Iscariot. The guy that would gladly give the Son of God over to the authorities for just a few pieces of money. We have quite the collection of characters here. So why in the world is Jesus in this situation at the first place? I mean, he could have picked a much nicer place. I'm sure he knew some people with more money than a guy that's just simply known as a leper. Maybe somewhere with a host that's not known as a leper, or maybe with somewhere where things might be a little nicer. Well, you see, this is one of the reasons why the chief priests were after Jesus. He claimed to be God, yet... There he was, in the midst of those who are unclean. Then, when this woman disrespectfully enters the scene and breaks open this jar of perfume on his head, for some reason he's okay with it. 
There was no trying to stop her, no getting in her way from getting to the feet of Jesus. She was coming to Jesus whether the other people in the room wanted her to or not. The others in the room were able to look past the fact that she was a woman because they were so disturbed by the elephant in the room. That's expensive stuff. A year's wages. Just wasted. It was all about the money going to waste. Then Jesus gives this really unique response that attempts to once again open the eyes of those that are listening at his feet. He says, you will always have the poor to help. But I am almost out of here. There are just so many aspects of this story. Next, we have to deal with the fact that Jesus doesn't give this woman a name. Yet he claims that everywhere the gospel is preached, the story of this woman would be told, and we don't even know her name. Yet her story is told. I find that fascinating. You think the writer would include a name so we would be able to name said woman. But no. Her intentions were to give Jesus all that she had to play her role in the life of God. She anointed him in preparation for burial. She uses over a year's wages to play her part in the story of God. Then we have the other end of the spectrum in this story. We notice that here is good old Judas Iscariot. Instead of giving to Jesus, Judas wanted to know what he could get out of Jesus. Judas was going to get money in return for turning Jesus over to the chief priests, while this woman had just given an enormous amount to Jesus. And I think today we sit here either with the same posture as the unnamed woman who has given an enormous amount to Jesus, or we sit here as Judas did, and we wonder how much we can get out of this Jesus guy. Church, I'm here to tell you today that Jesus does not owe you anything. If this woman was not willing to prepare him for burial, someone else would have done it. But what an honor and a blessing in her life to be the one who anointed Jesus in preparation for burial. Her perfume went for something much greater than smelling good for a night out on the town. But rather, she was able to anoint the Savior of the whole world. Hindsight's twenty twenty, but that just seems like an easy choice to us. The hard thing is that we rarely know what God is going to do with what God is asking us to give. Sometimes we want to know how we'll be spending our time if God wants to use it. You see, it'll be okay if I'm playing guitar on the worship team. Yeah, that's cool, but... If you need my time to go feed those that are hungry, I don't know how I feel about that. Sometimes it's hard to give money when we don't know exactly why or how it's going to be used. And sometimes we can give towards special projects and things, and that's okay. But other times God is asking us, do you trust me to steward the resources that I gave you in the first place? Alabaster offering is just one way that we can put that into practice. We put money into these boxes and we send it off. 
And we have no idea if, it, if our $5 buys a brick in Canada or if it buys a small box of screws in Russia. We'll never know. Yet we trust God because it was God's in the first place. One of the things about placing coins in these boxes is that we don't know who gave it. And we don't know how much you gave. You don't get giving credit when you just dump some coins in there. We don't have any way to track it. And I think there's something beautiful about that. Just as the woman who anointed Jesus gave a lot, we can give. And just like her, our name will never be known. You see, I think this all boils down to who Jesus is. If Jesus is your magical fairy that can meet your needs, or a genie that you think will grant you wishes, then you'll never be able to give generously. But when Jesus is the one worth pouring out your whole jar on, then you realize that you can never not give. When you realize that Jesus is our example, and all that he did was give, it's really hard to try to talk our way out of giving. And I'm really not just talking about money today. I'm talking about resources, time, money, energy, effort, and your gifts. As you all know, Brittany and I do not have children. And as a pastor, that can be slightly difficult because pastors get like 85% of their illustrations from their kids and their kids' experiences. And here, Pastor Gary's been here for 10 years with four children. Lots of examples and stories and things to pick from and pick apart. But as all of you know, we have dogs. And our dogs can teach us a lot. Well, this week, Brittany and I were introduced to a dog trainer in our community and um, just a fantastic woman. And she said, well, before we work together and partner together, I, I have a podcast. And it's rather short, but I want you guys to listen to it and then give me feedback so that we can kind of make sure that we think that she will be helpful to us and can help in our situation. And so we said, okay. And this lady, she's not just, uh, she took a few classes, dog trainer, but she has like degrees in it from universities and she's, she is studied up and um, kind of Caesar Milan level, if you know who he is. But so we start listening to this podcast and And I found out something very fascinating about dogs. Did you know, and I'm trusting her on this, but did you know that, let's say, our great Dane Sophie, for example, she was one of 15 in her litter. Her mother had 15 puppies. And and the mother was able to deliver all 15, and they were alive. And... um, And the mother was able to nurse them for a few days, and then she dried up. And so the breeder actually had to bottle feed all 15 puppies, and they all survived. That's, the odds of that are very, very slim, but it happened. And and so anyways, Sophie spent, you know, time with her siblings and around her mother. Her mother still cared for her and, and loved them and kept them warm and all that good stuff. Well, we got Sophie, uh, when she was about four months old, and so, um, but what this trainer said on the podcast that was so fascinating was that if Sophie, who is now four years old, were to walk past her mother or one of her siblings, she would know them. She would remember and recognize them instantly, even though it's been four years. 
But on the other side, if Sophie were to walk past her mother, her mother would have no idea. She wouldn't know that that was hers. And the reason is, is because dogs' long-term memory begins and is much more absorbent at the very beginning of life, in their first 12 to 15 weeks of life. And so everything that they're taking in, they remember. So more than likely, if if we took Sophie and, and saw the breeder that bottle fed her, she would probably remember her. Just fascinating. And then I got to thinking about it. So you're telling me that this dog, this rather large dog, mothered 15 puppies. She carried them full term in her womb, birthed them, gave all that she had until she ran out, and then still came around them and supported and loved them. You mean to tell me that her... that that. She doesn't even remember those puppies. She gave all that she had. And she could walk past them with no thanks today. And I thought, wow. Are we at that point? Are we really willing to give all that we have for no recognition? You see, just like the woman in our story today, the mama dog is, doing, is going to do everything she can for the other, and she just doesn't care who remembers it. You know, there's someone else in the Gospel of Mark who didn't want their name to be known. And his name is Jesus. All throughout Mark's Gospel, Jesus would go through towns, and he would heal, and he would restore, and he would forgive sin, but he would tell them, shh, Go into the village and say nothing. Well, of course, that didn't really work. They talked about it, but that that was Jesus' goal. You see, Jesus' goal was not to run an excellent campaign, but rather to give and give and give until he had nothing left. And church, remember, when Jesus gave until he had nothing left on the cross, God provided resurrection and life beyond what we thought was the ultimate limit. I don't know where you're at today, but this Jesus guy wants to be the Lord of your life. Not so that he can manipulate you with power, but so that he can teach you how to render power, authority, and and resources on behalf of the other. If you need to ask God today for a relationship check and, and, and to see what role Jesus is playing in your life, then come on, today is the day. And if you're tired of being disappointed because you've always seen Jesus as someone who should give you everything that you want... And come on, today's the day. Jesus preached repentance, and it's still true today. Jesus wants you to see him for who he is. Jesus wants you to see him as the woman did, and not as Judas did. Judas gave him up for something so temporary. And we're all guilty of coming to church, hoping that Jesus does something for us, when in all reality, when we come here to this place, Jesus is asking for something from us. Karen, would you come and play that, that last chorus we sang? Jesus is asking from us today for obedience, life surrendered, a life of service for the other. 
And church, when we get to the point where we've given all that we can give and we're at the end of the rope, we hope in resurrection. So we just keep giving. And when we begin to live lives of resurrection, I think our community will begin to notice that we don't care about our name being known, but that we begin to look a little different. So today, my question to you is, who is Jesus in your life today? Is Jesus the one that you think when the paycheck's $10 more than you hoped it was? Or is Jesus the one that you just cry out to when you don't know where else to go? Is Jesus the one that you think can provide all of your needs? Or is Jesus the one that you're hoping fulfills your wants? Because there is a vast difference. So today, this box sits here, and I'm not even going to ask you to come put money in it, because that's not what it's about. Today, this box sits here to be reminded that this woman who went unnamed, here we are 2,000 years later, telling her story. And that's what God wants to do with us as individuals and as a church. So that even if we as a church had to close our doors tomorrow, that years and years and years down the road, people would still remember that God used Gainesville Church of the Nazarene in a powerful way. So I invite you, allow the Holy Spirit to search you today. If you need to come and pray at these altars, come. If you need to receive Jesus for the first time, come and do that. But if you've had Jesus in the wrong role in your life, and you're ready to see that change today, come. And let's pray together. I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be filled. And I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb. And I'm welcome with open arms. Praise God just as I am. Let's sing it one more time. I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be filled. And I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb. And I'm welcome with open arms. Praise God just as I am. Father, we come before you today just as we are. Lord, we come with our jar of alabaster. And we recognize that 
that our jars are filled with different things today. Would you be, help us to be willing to break those open in fullness? Not to try to cut a slip and get a little bit out for you, but God, that we would burst them open and pour them on your head and trust that you will provide means in the future. God, help us to never give out a selfish intent, but that we would look at your life and we would recognize that we aren't running a campaign either, but that we are to use all that we have and all that we are, and we lay it at your feet this morning. God, we repent of the ways in which we've come to you for our wants and our desires, the way that we think the world should be. But God, we pray today that, that you would align our hearts with yours so that you can grant us the desires of our heart, that they're aligned with you, that they're not out of selfish intent. Lord, we pray for these that have come before you today to these altars, to this place where we just say, God, you've worked here before. That's why there's altars here. We ask that you would work again. Lord, we are so thankful today that we serve the God that can carry us to the end of our rope. And when we think there's no more, there is resurrection and new life and more than we could ever ask or imagine. So Father, teach us today what it means. What it means to be people who pour it out at your feet, all that we have, all that we are, and we trust you for the future. Lord, may that be our prayer today. Sing that chorus one more time. in an attitude of prayer, I invite you um, today to receive this blessing, um, and, and, and then we're going to hang out and pray for a while. So if, if you, if you want to stay, stay. If you want to go, go, but we're going to uh, just let the Spirit continue to move. So 
Today, we, uh, it is our prayer that the God of all grace and peace, who is able to provide all of our needs according to His riches and glory, would provide and that we would be faithful in return. And it's in that name we pray. Amen. Go in His grace and peace today.